I believed in the book and I thought it was there and I, I didn't want to wait anymore. And I, I figured, why do I have to keep waiting for someone to magically open the door for me? I'm going to open the door for myself. Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast. I'm Christy Meyer, your host, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and plenty of books to keep your TBR piles toppling. So grab a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my cozy friends. I am so excited for today's episode because our guest author is my friend and one of my favorite thriller authors, Rec Talk Ross. Her latest book, Summer Rental, is an Amazon bestseller. I am so excited to chat all about it. So welcome to the show, Rec Talk. Hello, that was such a good introduction. I really appreciate it. Of course, I'm so excited to get to chat with you and talk all about Summer Rental and of course, Ski Weekend as well. So let's start though with Summer Rental because it's just such a fun summer thriller. I absolutely devoured it. So do you wanna just kick us off by telling our listeners what the book is all about? Yes, I would love to. Now it's the perfect fall or Halloween thriller. It's true. Summer Rental. Basically, Summer Rental is Mean Girls Meet Scream. So it's a group of their, you know, older teens headed into college. It's their last big hurrah. They go down on an island vacation and two of their friends disappear on the first night, right as a hurricane is rolling in and traps them on an island with a serial killer on the loose. So it was so much fun to write. There was so many like really cool aspects of like my childhood I was able to put in the book. I grew up in Florida. I lived through tons of hurricanes. We used to spend all of our like college, pre-college and college breaks on the Keys and Key West, which is kind of what the uh, island where they're trapped in this book is kind of based on. And I've never had like a serial killer in my life that I know of, however, (laughs) that I love. However, I did grow up in Florida and my brother, I have an older brother, was actually the year right after the murders at University of Florida. So Danny Rollins, the Gainesville Ripper, which the Scream movie was actually based on. So during my formative years, that was like very much in my life and, you know, on the news and what everyone was talking about when I was in high school and of course the screen movies came out and you know my favorite one of my favorite horror movies ever so i've always kind of wanted to do like a little homage or like kind of a fun serial killer scream-ish slasher story so this was my chance and i i had a great time writing it oh my goodness that is so interesting that you have so many personal experiences that really tied into and inspired this book i can't even believe that yeah no super fun and then obviously the bullying thing and we can talk you know whatever you want to talk about but mm-hmm. just from like a female woman aspect also i'm a stepmom and have two women in my life as well that i helped raise the whole bullying there's like a, a very big uh bullying theme that runs throughout the story and really about empowerment and being true to who you are and that also is very personal to me i have an author letter in the back of the book that talks about why i felt it was important at least for me to write a book about bullying, uh, especially within friend groups, which we don't, I don't think we talk about as much. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty rampant. Most women I know and, and girls I know 
have either been through it or their friends been through it or like they've seen it, whether it's growing up in, you know, junior high or high school, or even college or in the workplace. I didn't have the same experience as the girls in this book. Thank goodness. Right. But a similar experience where I, you know, had some friends kind of turn on me in high school as well. And then saw that happen again to my daughters, mm-hmm. my stepdaughters, they were growing up. And I really wanted to write a book that kind of explored that and why we do that to each other as women. And of course, this is taken to the next level in a horror setting. And that's why I like horror. You get to explore, you know, social themes um, in a in a kind of a fun way that's not as in your face. But yeah, that I would say that also is like the other really personal link to me in this book, not just the setting and all of that and the serial killer ripper kind of theme, but also just the the, the female bullying. Yeah, absolutely. I found that like author's letter that you do at the end of the book, like very touching, very relatable. And I really liked that you were able to make like such a strong statement uh, about social issues that all women, but especially teenage women face today, while also like incorporating it in this really fun novel, which like you said, is perfect for Halloween, because I know like, I will be rewatching the Scream movies in the next couple of months. And I'm sure our listeners will be too. Like, it's just, it's a classic. Absolutely. No, I'm a huge fan of all of them. And I know you, it's funny. I would say almost all the 90s movies, like I know what you did last summer, Mm -hmm. also heavily inspired this book as well. Um, There's a whole kind of like urban legend story in here and something with a yellow raincoat. And that was very much inspired by I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Not the books. The books obviously are completely different, but the movie for sure. Yeah, I love it. Oh my goodness. We could do like a whole nother podcast episode about like (laughs) how fantastic 90s like teen horror horror movies really were. Yeah. Oh, good. And the books like Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and Mm -hmm. Elton Smith. It's really a, a really amazing era. It's funny. I don't think it gets enough love, but in literature and in movies, I think there were some really fantastic stories being told in the 90s especially yeah then it got really dark and scary with like the japanese horror that came out and that was like very very dark during Mm 9-11 but i the 90s was like the fun popcorn horror exactly and you could sleep at night after you watched it exactly and this book very much has that same vibe so if you like 90s horror but you want a book set in like a modern setting then this is definitely the book to pick up So we have been friends for a while now, and it's been so much fun for me to watch your publishing journey. I personally find it very inspirational, and I'm just wondering if you can tell our listeners what your journey has been like so far. And I would say, like, I echo that to you as well, because I also have been following you, and I also love watching you and how, you know, your book, Not If I Date You First, how that just came out and is doing great, and your Wattpad book, I loved when I read it, so... That's really sweet of you to say, and I feel the exact same way about you, and I'm so glad that we first connected on Instagram. It's funny because I feel like we've bonded over so many things. Like I feel like we've had some similar journeys on just publishing in the industry as a whole, and it's kind of crazy how it's changed, but I, as you know, I've had a very long and convoluted <laughs> journey yep. in publishing. I was, I've always loved writing and storytelling and film and TV and books, but Um, My family, for better or for worse, pushed me to get a real job and become a lawyer. So I was a trial litigator for a long time, over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I started kind of writing on the side and I just, I really loved it. 
I realized that I really missed having that creative outlet. And I knew that that was my passion. And so eventually I was able to transition from full-time to then like flex time or part-time to then leaving permanently. I think it was like 2018 when I decided I'm just, I'm going to make a goal of this writing thing and worked really hard on Ski Weekend. I tried very hard to play the traditional publishing game. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, quarried my little butt off, um, <laughs> went to every workshop online, in person, like SDBWI conferences and all the writing pitches and the Twitter pitches. And like, no matter what I did and everyone, all the feedback I got was, this is really good. But no matter what I did, I couldn't seem to get an agent or an editor that was as interested in Ski Weekend as I was. And so I wound up connecting with a former agent who was switching into editing, who I actually had done an R&R. So for people listening who don't know what that is, it's like a read and a rewrite for an agent when they're super interested, but it's just not exactly ready they think for publishing and I had done it twice for her because she loved the book but kept finding little flaws and when I came back to her the third time she had left agenting and went into editing and I decided to give her a shot and work with her and now she is one of my best friends she's amazing I use her all the time she's one of my biggest support networks her name's Amy Amy Tipton but we got it into I think the best shape it could possibly be in and I did actually get an agent and we were working on the contract when COVID hit. And so, you know, obviously there's worse things in the world going on during COVID than Liani not getting her agent, but it was upsetting (laughs) after all that time, finally get interest. And then we basically had to stall everything because of COVID. And I gave it a few months and nothing really picked back up. I know anyone who was in publishing at that time, it was very chaotic. Everyone was leaving New York, which is kind of the epicenter of publishing. People didn't know what was going to happen. Editors were leaving. Everyone was on furlough. It was just a, a very insane time for a lot of reasons, not just publishing. Right. Um, and I, you know, I'm getting older and I realized I had been querying for years and I just, I didn't, I didn't want to wait anymore. And I felt like I had done everything possible I could do. I spent time, you know, I put a lot of effort into learning how to be a writer, taking classes, workshops. I'd workshop this particular book for years, got in tons of professional feedback. I really felt like I put in the time and mm-hmm. I felt like I believed in the book and I thought it was there and I, I didn't want to wait anymore. And I, I figured, why do I have to keep waiting for someone to magically open the door for me? Like I'm going to open the door for myself. And so I wound up getting a, like a consultation with another publishing expert in the industry to ask, what are my options? What do you think about self-publishing between, you know, that or hybrid publishers or you know what are the options and i had actually self-published a romance that i i love and i want to revisit at some point back in 2013 but my uh-huh. experience then was not as it's been now and self-publishing has really changed since 2013 it was really hard to get any readers there was no social media there wasn't amazon ads there wasn't facebook ads and as much as i loved putting that book out and the people who found it really liked it and i still really love that book mm-hmm. um it wasn't like there wasn't really the ability to go viral or to really get a readership. And that's what I talked to um, this publishing expert about, like how have things changed? And she said, this is the advice she gave me, which I, I think is pretty spot on now that I've done all of it, was that self-publishing is tons of opportunity now. It's very different. 
You can make a lot of money. You can get exposure through social media. Mm-hmm. However, there's still a stigma. We can talk about that too, because I'm curious what you've experienced, but yeah. there is still a stigma in self-publishing when it comes to mainstream media and <laughs> the bestseller list, like the New York Times uh-huh. um, and also bookstores. So it's, she said, if what you want is to come out with a big splash and to be in magazines and to get those trade reviews and interviews and, and be in bookstores, then self-publishing is still a little bit behind on that. And then right. hybrid publishing might be the right thing for you because they do have distribution and they are seen as more accepted mm-hmm. by the industry. And she was totally right. I mean, there are some definite cons about hybrid publishing, but with respect to really making that splash, I feel like I was able to do that. And I was able to get some amazing press. Like I was in, you know, Cosmopolitan and the Hollywood mm-hmm. Reporter, like, things that had been dreams of mine, um, my book was featured in there, which was incredible. And I did get in, you know, bookstores and I was able to do the bookstore tour and all of that. So that experience was really great. And it is what I was hoping for on the marketing and publicity side, not as much on the finance side. And that's why for summer rental, once I'd had all that splash and got all the things I thought I really wanted, as an author and I you know got a movie deal which has been amazing we can talk yeah. about that but Ski Weekend is being produced by the guys who did Saw and Two and a Half Men and I'm an executive producer and that's all been incredible so kind of all the the, the goals I set up for me on the marketing side I, I feel like I and the film side I feel like I was able to meet but financially it's really difficult to make money as an author it and is. And, and, and the book went both. I wound up getting a traditional deal on the audiobook, And I have to tell you from both the traditional and the hybrid side mm-hmm. is very difficult. There's a lot of issues. And I see why like the writers and the actors are striking now in Hollywood. There's a lot of inequity. There's a mm-hmm. real lack of transparency. And I just decided, you know, I, I spoke with my husband. I spoke with, you know, my other friends, female entrepreneurs. And I just said, for the next book, I want to fully own it. I actually did create a little bit just to a couple of like big name agents and managers. And again, I like, it's crazy because I have a movie deal. The book did great. I was in, got all this press and like, I couldn't get, it was mostly crickets. Like I couldn't even get people to respond. So that tells you a lot about how the industry is right now. And I know you've had like heard some similar stuff or, you know, had friends with similar experiences or people on sub that even people that have a lot of good books are not hearing back from editors. So it's just, yep. traditional is like a crazy mess right now. And I said, you know what? If I can't even get someone to pay attention to me where I am now, and I know that there's a lot of headaches on the financial end, like I let me, let me try this. And so I did. And I like, I would love to hear your experience too. I am so happy. I love self-publishing. I love the control. I love, I was able to connect so much with readers through social media and TikTok. I run ads. I can see right away. Like I have full transparency. Everything I do is coming back to me. So like all mm-hmm. the blood, tears, like all the money and time I'm investing, like I am the one who is fully benefiting. So right. I just I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of it. And honestly, it kind of makes me a little nuts now when I see on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram, I have other friends that like kind of both of us that were on social media for a long time, mm-hmm. that you know, really want to write, you know, bookstagrammers and book talkers that really want to write. And now they're in the query trenches 
and they're sitting there for like three or four years waiting for someone oh, yeah. to tell them yes. And I feel like these half these people, I mean, there are some great agents. I don't want to, and there's great editors and there's great managers. There are for sure, yeah. but not everyone is. And like, we're letting all these people that maybe don't even know what they're talking about decide our fate. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's insane. It's really insane. And I feel like we don't need that anymore. Like we, we can open our own doors. We can meet our readers and our, our fans direct. And I'm not saying I would never do a traditional deal and I'll never have an agent or manager. I'm sure at some point there are some great benefits to it, mm-hmm. but I personally am waiting now until it's equal. Right. Like what I'm putting into it, which is a lot. And I know what I bring to the table that it's an equal relationship and we're on equal footing and they're bringing the same back to me. So yeah. I don't know if that was like a big, like, oh, like I'm on my soapbox or whatever, but I've learned <laughs> a lot and I do like talking about it. And I really like helping other people. And I feel like not just in the industry, but authors to authors, writers to writers, I feel like we are not fully transparent and that's exactly. a disservice. That's a disservice. And so I always want to be helpful and be honest about my experience and try and help others. And so I really, if you're like sitting on the, should I self-publish, which I do, like, I say, go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been so happy doing it. What What about you? Like, what what is your experience then? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. My experience has been extremely similar to yours, like you mentioned. And I, I'm glad you went so in depth on that answer. I was hoping that you would, because like you said, there needs to be more transparency. Like, I feel like people write books and then very quickly become discouraged and want to quit because things from there like you think writing the book is like once you write it you're just going to get an agent and a book deal and it just it doesn't usually work that way and so going in with like a plan and like five backup plans (laughs) is really like how you have to survive if you want to like make it in publishing because it is it's so competitive agents and editors are so overworked and understaffed they don't have time to read any everything they don't have time to respond to everything and so for all of us authors that are putting like our whole heart and soul into these books we just get ignored and that is soul crushing if you don't expect that it really is and and it's like it's funny because there's even two like it never ends there's Mm -hmm. like multiple parts to it it's like you you think you know you think writing the book is the hard part and it's not it's actually I think it's like the easiest part, I think. Right. The hard part is trying to get it out to people to read it. And so when you go through, you know, querying, trying to get your agent or a manager or someone to believe in you to get an editor to open doors, that's one hurdle. Mm-hmm. And that you know, can take years and years and years. And some people never make it past that, right? Right. But then, once, okay, so then once you get the great, the great book deal that you were hoping for, or even the hybrid deal that you wanted to do, like me or, you know, whatever, then there's the so many people are not happy with that. Like there's so many hidden things that people don't talk about. Once the book comes out, like your publisher doesn't send you to any conferences, Mm -hmm. doesn't get you any trade reviews, doesn't get you any press, doesn't spend any money on your book. And then your book doesn't do well. And then it's like, you don't get another deal because they blame you, but it's really the publisher didn't believe in the book. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many people are so unhappy or like your royalties are not what you thought they would be, or you can't even read them because they make no sense. Like there's so many other hidden things in this business that I think it's really important for people, at least that are comfortable to, to be honest about it and have an open dialogue and be helpful 
and like writers especially to support each other and to find Mm -hmm. a really supportive writing community like how we found each other right like even like when I was thinking about summer rental and I wasn't totally sure like do I really want to self-publish I remember like we had some really amazing chats and Mm -hmm. you really inspired me because I knew you were taking the leap and I was like okay great like someone else is going in the trenches if she's doing it like it I want to do it too and I had another girlfriend who her book did amazing um Uh also on my hybrid she was USA Today bestseller and she also was like I want to do self-publish this time and like I feel like having the right people around you who inspire you because there are other people in the community it can be very competitive who they will take away from like your joy or they will discourage you Mm -hmm. from like doing things because they there's jealousy or people think it's so wild to me it's so opposite of how the industry actually works people will think oh if this person's successful or if their book does well then my book won't do well and it's right there there for readers there are there's infinite amount of like success and books like someone who reads thrillers they don't just read one thriller right they're gonna read dozens of thrillers so unless you can really pump out a hundred books a year like there's not an issue that someone's gonna be reading your books and not their books or their books and not your books or whatever Mm -hmm. you're really just creating more readers by writing books and supporting others because while you know you are not able to create your next book they're feeding your reader until your next book comes out and then they might grab your book. So to me, it's like, there's enough pie for everyone. It doesn't make any sense. It's not an infinite resource. Like readers are always going to want books. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to me that people are so competitive, but they are. So I feel yeah. like it's finding right, like finding community and then finding the right community that actually wants to support you. Exactly. Because uh, publishing is so hard. Like there's just, there's no way you can survive it on your own like you need other people who understand what you're going through who are on your team that can help you like bounce ideas off of each other that can talk about like marketing strategies like what's working for them what's not because we're all kind of like stumbling around in the dark a little bit whether you're traditional or indie and just like trying to figure things out as you go and hoping that something becomes successful and like realizing you have like very little control over the outcome of just about anything. Yeah. And just yeah, having this support, like when you get your first one star, you're Uh like, Oh my God, maybe I should quit writing and no one likes me or, you know, your first bad review. And then you talk to a good writer friend who's like, Oh, I have like a hundred of those. Like you're right. (laughs) It's like that kind of stuff I think is so important to keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. Cause writing is not easy. I don't like, I don't know if there is an easy part of the entire writing process, but there's some amazing highs and those highs definitely make it all worth it, but nothing's ever easy. I agree with that a hundred percent. So circling back to summer rental, I really enjoyed the friend group that you have in this book. They were such a dynamic cast of characters. And I just personally always have a lot of fun reading about groups of friends, especially if they have lots of secrets and lies in between them. So how did you go about developing such interesting characters? And did you have a favorite? Well, first of all, thank you. That's all very sweet. I mean, obviously... Obviously, I really like the main character. Uh-huh. Um, it's hard to say that without, I don't want to give anything away. 
just because there's like a like a mystery reveal of who the killer is Mm -hmm. i guess i would say without giving it away killer killers um that's one of my absolute favorite characters is who it actually turns out is doing all the bad stuff was probably my favorite to write about yeah i loved Um, that character yeah i would say and then I can't say who the rest are. Well, no, I guess I can. Okay, well, just pretend we don't know who that is. And if I say <laughs> anyone else's name, it doesn't mean that it's not that person too. But I, Riley, I mean, I really, that's the main character. I really did resonate with Riley a lot just because I have felt at many points in my life like an outsider in lots of different situations, like around people with uh, different economic backgrounds or um, different parts of society because I've lived in so many different places and come from completely different backgrounds from people. I feel like I did, I did really relate to her and I did really like her and I loved her struggle. And even now there's, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am, but even now, sometimes around certain people, I will, you know, bite my tongue to a certain extent or make myself more like kind of a chameleon. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I loved kind of like her journey her arc of like having to keep herself very quiet and hidden and small to fit in with this group of like very privileged, very popular, very entitled girls. And I really did sympathize with her. And so she was a really fun character to write. And then kind of as she grew out of that and had to become stronger now that there's like a serial killer out there. I loved that. She was super fun for me to write. I, there's another character that was super fun for me, his name is Jonathan, and he was kind of like, if you've seen Scream, I, most people have, I think it's like my favorite uh-huh. horror movie, There's, or one of my favorite, my top five. There's a character, Randy, who's like the know-it-all horror guy, and I feel like that's, <laughs> like, I don't know if Scream made it the archetype, but it has kind of become an archetype or a character type in a lot of, like, the self-aware guy in a lot of horror movies, and I loved, because that's me. Like, I love stuff like that. I am very self-aware in thrillers and horror genres. And I'm always, like, pausing the movie and explaining to people and telling them about, you know, all the tropes and stuff. And I so that character was really fun and kind of, like, was, like, a female version of myself in a lot uh-huh. of ways. And then just, like, the bitchy girls just in general were really fun. I mean, I really leaned kind of on my high school experience and what I remember, kind of the, the, the not-so-nice girls being like. And then also of course, Mean Girls, and I love reality TV, so (laughs) one of the characters you see, like, on Real Housewives, or, you know, Laguna Beach, or The Hills, they're kind of, like, amalgamations of those characters that you see that, so I feel like when people read it, I've gotten a lot of feedback where people are like, wow, like, in a good way, like, that kind of brought me back to high school, that really reminded me of people I went to school, then I think that's very true, because I really tried to base those girls on real people. And what what's really hilarious to me is that I had, and I do not, I, I try not to read reviews. They're not for me. They're for readers. Mm-hmm. I really try to stay out of that space as much as I can. But sometimes, and I think people don't get this, sometimes it finds you. Right. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, especially on TikTok, like the way the algorithm works, if something says summer rental, it's probably going to come to me. Whether right. or not you tag me in it, because TikTok is smart and TikTok knows that I wrote Summer Rental, right? Mm-hmm. I'm very interested 
summer rental because I talk about it all the time and I hashtag it all the time. So it's going to show me summer rental. So unfortunately, I, it's funny, a lot of people be like, oh, why did, why is that author upset? Why did they, they shouldn't be reading reviews. It's like, no, I, I promise you, I didn't like it came to me. And I somehow came to me um, a negative review about summer rental. But this one was actually, I thought, funny in a way because it was uh, <laughs> like an educator who said, so probably older, not not a teen anymore. Uh-huh. Said, oh, I just, but someone who you think would work with teens, so would know, said, oh, I just, I couldn't get into this book. The characters were so mean. It just wasn't realistic. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no one, no one's this mean. There's no, girls are not like this. No one's this mean. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about girls being mean like this. And I just, I actually thought that was funny because I don't know where this person, how this person can work with teenagers. Maybe it's like a elementary school educator. I don't know. Right. Just walk into any high school and there are girls exactly like these girls in any, at least in America, like any American high school in this country, you will find girls exactly like these girls. Like Absolutely. I, I like- went to school with them. I went to college with them. My girls went to high school with them. They went to college with them. Like they are there. And I don't think the girls in summer rental are any meaner than any, like any girl I've, that I've met, like mean girls or whatever. I think it's, it's actually very, very realistic. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was fun to write about them. And then to like, kind of have a revenge um, like a fantasy revenge thing going on kind of like, putting them in their place, which I think we all, like anyone who's been bullied or had like someone be really mean to them, not that we want to go out and kill them, but there definitely is always like that revenge fantasy that's fun to think about. Um, Right. Taylor Swift and karma, like wouldn't it be great (laughs) for these people to, you know, get karma? And that's, that was something else that I really loved writing about was like creating these characters, like you said, that I feel like everyone or maybe, maybe not that one reviewer, but almost everyone else knows mm-hmm. and knows well and has probably been terrorized about and like that character getting, you know, karma coming back and then kind of what they, what they deserve. I think there was something very fun about that. I know we're both like huge Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime you can like weave Taylor Swift into, into a story or a Taylor Swift theme in, I think it is always fun for for writers for Swifty writers oh my goodness I know every time she releases an album I'm like okay so this will inspire like the next two years of books that are going to be <laughs> published in one way or another I love her I actually have a short story I'm working on right now because I wanted to put something out for Halloween and it's yeah. Taylor of course it's Taylor Swift inspired I mean it it's an idea I've had for years and years and years before like I became as huge of a Swifty as I am now uh-huh but it definitely, like, some things I watched doing recently definitely inspired it, like, some tweaks to it. Oh, I'm so excited. And when does that come out? So I'm hoping to put it out, I mean, definitely by October 1st, hopefully in the next week or two. Awesome. But it's so funny because, like, you've inspired me again because <laughs> I saw what a beautiful job you did with your book. And I know that you did, like, the interior with vellum. And I've always mm-hmm. been so intrigued. And you're so sweet and helpful. Like, I texted you like, what do you think about vellum? Should I, you know, bite the bullet? And you were like, heck yes. So just because it's a short story, like I don't want to 
spend all the money and then the time to wait for someone else to do the layout and right. like all of you know the cover and the proofing. I mean, this is going to be like, uh, I really think it's good. And I'm really excited about the cover and stuff, but it's going to be a free story on my website or like a dollar on Amazon. So I don't want to put all that time and money like I will with the next big book. Uh Um, But I think like doing all the like the vellum and stuff myself has been kind of fun, like learning all of that too. Yeah, vellum is great. And for our listeners that don't know what vellum is, it is a software system that you can use to format your book so that you can make it actually look like a, a traditionally published book when it actually comes out on shelves. And it also does the ebook version and it's very simple and it looks very clean. I'm a big fan. There's others and I've tried them, but Vellum is is my personal favorite. Yeah, I was, I was scared to buy the bullet, but you've been supportive and I actually <laughs> downloaded it yesterday and I've been playing around with it and I really like it. And then the other cool thing, I don't know if the majority of your listeners, I guess you probably get both a mix of readers and writers, but oh, yeah. Um, for both for readers and writers, what I think is super cool, as I started to think about, I really want to do this short story. It came to me a couple of weeks ago and it used to be that short stories didn't really do well. Like there wasn't really a platform for them. I mean, Uh you could maybe put them like uh, as a free download or something for emails to get email addresses, which I'm still going to do, but there wasn't like a huge place where people consumed them. Like you basically had to put together an anthology, like Stephen King. um, Mm -hmm. He's well known for the short stories, but he, you know, doesn't sell just one short story, but a bunch in an anthology or you get a group of authors together and each one of you writes a short story and that goes in an anthology. Right. Or there's magazines like the New Yorker and you send your stuff out to them. But now it's so cool. And this is what I love about, and I think this is self, like this is more, I wouldn't say self-publishing, but it's definitely Amazon um, and more driven by like the disruptors as opposed to like traditional, the traditional kind of side of publishing is short stories are now, I don't know if you've seen this, but because I'm so into it, I've been looking, they're now becoming really big on Amazon. So mm-hmm. Amazon now has categories like, you know, 60 minute read, 90 minute read, and yeah. they're doing great. And Amazon has their Amazon originals. So like it's their authors that they've hired. And there's some big ones like Lucinda Berry, who does mm-hmm. thrillers. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Harrison's done some yes. great ones. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Frida McFadden, another big thriller author. She's got, so there's a lot of people, I mean, a lot of them are doing the Amazon, but some people are like Frida did hers without Amazon. She did hers herself. And so seeing that was really cool seeing that like, okay, short stories are actually really exploding right now. And you'll see them even on the top 100 on Amazon. And I started reading. So like, as I was writing, it's called the pop star and the devil. But as I was writing that story, I started like every night I would look online and do my market research. And I started reading a bunch of these and I realized I actually am really enjoying them too, because, and I love novels. Like I'll never not read novels, but these are great because you can read them in one sitting. So if you're like, you don't want to get kind of like watching Netflix and just a TV show that, you know, is 30 minutes or something, you don't have to fully invest. So like, if you're busy, you've got projects or whatever, and you can't, you don't have time to like really get into a 300 or 600 page book. You can still read because you love to read. You can read, you know, a full story right before bedtime and it's 15 or 20 minutes of your time. And so I'm really loving them myself. And then um, you're also seeing them being turned into like little audibles and podcasts 
episodes as well Mm -hmm. so you can listen to a whole story you know while you're walking your dog or folding your laundry so i think we're gonna see more and more yeah as you know as it's funny because we look at like bite like bite-sized content like tiktok's really getting us now to want to watch you know 30 seconds or seven seconds or one minute and youtube and youtube shorts like netflix how you know netflix shows are so popular like we're really getting into an era where i think our our attention spans like not that I think people always read full length novels and go see full length movies, but there's a time and place for it. I think we're becoming more interested in bite size entertainment. And so I think like which is great for us, right? Because it takes so much time to write a full novel that like if we can put shorter things out for our readers mm-hmm. and we can still stay creative. And what I love about it too, like I also love fantasy. And I actually was working on, I, I hope to put it out at some point, um, a really fun fantasy Greek mythology trilogy, but awesome. I've been doing thrillers and I was nervous to like, I want to finish like the third and fourth thriller before I put the fantasies out. Uh-huh. The pop star and the devil is a little bit like a fantasy. And so I get to kind of test the water a little bit with like, it's not a huge investment. Right. Uh, but yeah. Like I get to try new things without, it's a lot of time and energy to put a full novel out. But to do in a short story, I think is really fun. And I think we're going to start to see these really take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in the indie space, like you said, just because we have control over like how quickly we publish things and how long there like there is between things that are published. And I don't see like a huge appetite still in traditional publishing yet for short stories or shorter novellas, but readers are snapping them up so it's a really smart strategy they are and i yeah you're so right like we get to be that's the cool thing about indie is we get to be more nimble and try things and like this isn't a huge investment for me to try but if you know random house or you know school last or like i think it would be a bigger both financial and time investment for them to start doing short stories i don't know we may still see it i think it's really interesting because also like my kids and they're, you know, college age and in their 20s and stuff. It's it's hard for them, like, to get them to sit down and read my books. Except for Derek, who's he's my stepson, who's a big reader. He reads fantasy. Uh-huh. Other than him, like, the girls, it's hard to get them to sit down and read. Because, like, they just have so much going on. And I remember at that age, like, I didn't read either. And I've always been a huge avid reader. But, like, in my 20s in college, when I first started working, I was working so hard that the free minutes I had were spending time with my friends and stuff. Exactly. Um, but, but a short story, they're both like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, it's only nine pages. And like, oh, hell, hell yeah, I'll read it tonight. Exactly. Like, getting, I think getting like that generation into reading, I do think that's like a cool, I think that's going to be a cool avenue to mm-hmm. get more people to read because I think the investment of, you can read it in one night, in one sitting. So I'm excited. I mean, I'll report back to you. I'll report <laughs> yeah. back to you after this goes out and we'll see how it goes. But definitely I think- do. I can't wait to hear how it goes. And I do think it helps to capture like those readers that are in those like you hear yeah. so many people that stop reading either like during high school and college, like that that same time frame and then pick it back up in their 20s because they just don't have time. So yeah. doing short stories to help keep those readers reading is I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And you know what? Amazon, I mean, I, I, for any, okay. I, I love indie bookstores. It's not like I'm like, oh, I only love Amazon. I like everything. But I like on a business end, like Amazon doesn't miss. 
So like if Amazon is now, I mean, I'm seeing it. If they're now putting their time and their energy and really building up the short story and they do the little audible to accompany the short story, mm -hmm. there's something there. Like they know what they're doing. So I think that we're going to see more and more of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Amazon is very, very smart with their business choices. <laughs> I have to mention, so something that I think you do that's really smart with your novels, at least the two that we've read so far, is that you have incorporated like big storms as part of the plot line. Yes. And I just find that like such a great way to increase tension and it makes everything feel so dire. The stakes are so high. So what do you think it is about storms that have added so much tension to your stories? Oh, it's so great. I love that because all four of mine are going to have some kind of natural, like a natural disaster storm. Uh -huh. well, I think it works on so many levels. So it raises the stakes, right? Because not just do you have in ski weekend, like not just are you in the middle of nowhere with no cell service and no civilization, but now you have a blizzard and you could die from a blizzard. So it yeah. gives you another threat outside of the other threats that could possibly kill you when you're stranded. This blizzard can also kill you. So now we've got, it's almost like its own full on character, like a, a monster in its own way. I mean, that there's a very real reason why natural, like there's natural horror is like a trope because it's something that we as humans instinctually fear mother nature because we know it can kill us. So right. I love that aspect. And then I incorporated it again in Summer Rental with a hurricane because now the threat is not just the serial killer, but like we also could theoretically be taken out by this hurricane. And I will have the same thing with my other. So the third one I'm working on is going to be more of like a, there's a lot going on, but the threat's going to be more of um, a drought. So okay. it'll make more sense when I talk more about it and why the drought actually creates a big issue and a fire and everything. But I love incorporating, like, I think that it, it works on your primal instinct. Like we are taught to fear mm -hmm. nature, maybe less now that we have houses and all of this, but there's still something primal and instinctual that's subconscious. That's always going to get that little thrill, like scare from mother nature. The fact that it's its own character that can kill you. And then the third way that it works, and I think it works really well is to isolate your characters. So when they're trapped in a storm, you know, in, in ski weekend, it's a blizzard. Well, now they have to stay in the car. Like can't be outside because they could die in the storm. And the storm's also messing up with their cell phone reception. So it isolates them and also hinders them from having an easier way to escape. And the same thing with summer rental, you have a, you know, a group of, of college kids trapped in a house with a serial killer. Well, there wasn't a storm. Couldn't they just leave and get in their cars and go somewhere? And the answer is yes. But now that you have this hurricane, they can't leave the house. So it functions to trap them in a situation that actually makes sense because otherwise everyone would be saying, why don't they just get in the car and go and leave? And there's actually a really funny conversation in the book where they literally talk about why in horror movies, why they stay when someone starts killing people. And there's got to be a real answer that actually makes sense. And a hurricane is a real answer mm -hmm. that actually makes sense. I can tell you as a a Floridian, once that storm starts going, you're not getting in your car and leaving. Like, right. So I think it's a great question. And I think they they work. These storms or these these acts of nature work on multiple levels. And they're, they're really fun. And I also just think just there's just always something really intriguing about disasters on their own. Like, that's why I said 
the disaster trope, but also the disaster movies, like not in horror, but in adventure. Uh-huh. Those are super popular. And there's a reason why, because there's just something like really exciting about seeing mother nature kind of unfurl. It's exciting when you, the reader, are <laughs> in bed, cozied up, you know, right. <laughs> dog or your cat next to you. It's not so exciting when you're the one actually in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's something exciting that you can live vicariously through your characters yeah. and experience like the fear and the tension, but without actually being in any danger. I agree a thousand percent. I love watching, like obviously I love reading books that have these uh, big natural disasters that happen because of the tension. I love watching documentaries that incorporate that. I love a good isolation trope. So like your oh, books good. just check like so many boxes for me personally and speaking of ski weekend so i know we mentioned earlier that you do have some movie news with that book so can you tell us anything about where you're at in that process and what that experience has been like because it's so cool it so it's been amazing it's been a little less amazing since the strike because everything is a huge bummer but again like the COVID story from earlier you know obviously everything's not about me and there's people out there that are really fighting for very very important basic human employment rights and things that absolutely need to change in the industry definitely but it has had the impact on that everything that's currently in the pipeline is is on hold but up until the strike things were going amazing so i wound up ski weekend wound up um getting attached by a producing team, a father and son. The father did all the Saw movies and wow. Two and a Half Men and a bunch of other things as well. He is, his name is Oren and his son is Miles and they're both amazing. And I feel so incredibly lucky that they fell in love with the book and want to make it into a movie. And they have been so supportive of me as a writer and me wanting to be involved. I've always really wanted to get into film and TV producing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just writing, but also having like a pivotal role in bringing my books to the screen and maybe other people's books as well at some point. That's yeah. also But they have been fully supportive of that. And so I've been involved every step of the way. Like I helped them prepare the pitch deck. That's the deck when you're, it's like a slideshow presentation where when you go out to um, entice uh, either executives at studios or uh, if you're partnering with another production company or trying to raise funds, um, that's kind of what you show them in your pitch. And so I helped put together the pitch deck. We you know, had tons of calls talking about who we'd want to go out to and thinking through like what directors or actors or all of that. And so I love that they've been so open-minded and so welcoming of all my thoughts and my views on it. And I really felt like a full partner with them and things were going great. I, I wanted to write the screenplay. I have written screenplays before uh-huh. uh, for fun mostly, but originally they told me no, because <laughs> um, they said that it's a lot harder to, to sell. If oh, interesting. Authors- if it's the author's first book and now they want to do their first screenplay, it's much okay. harder to tell. So that was fine. But then as we got more into the pitch and things were really going slow and everyone was saying, oh, we love the book. We love the story. 
do you have a screenplay or a treatment, which is a shorter version of the screenplay? Do you have a treatment because everyone wants to see the screenplay and the treatment to see what the budget is? So like when you read a book, you can kind of envision, but when you actually, I'm learned, I've learned so much. I learned all of this. But when you actually see the screenplay, because all the settings are spelled out very clearly, uh -huh. you can see like, okay, this is a $5 million picture because they're in the car the whole time. Or, oh wait, this is $10 million because you know, they're in school and then they're at home and then there's an avalanche and then there's a big chase scene with, um, not all this is in the book, but big chase scene with a wolf. And then right. there's a, see all of it. And so they can better figure out what the budget is than they can in a book. Also, because a lot of stuff gets cut out from, you know, a 300 page book into mm -hmm. a 90 page screenplay. So they don't really have a fair estimate of what it's going to cost. And while that's great for a huge book that they know is going to, you know, maybe bring in like a twilight kind of a thing for something that's less known like me. <laughs> um, I think the screenplay and the treatment really helps them. And so once they started getting that feedback, they wanted to hire a screenwriter, which I thought was a great idea, um, but was going to take a lot of time because you have to, in first you get samples, you read them, then you interview them, then you have to work with their schedules. A lot of the really good ones are already booked out. So that's like, in my head, I'm just seeing like, okay, this is getting pushed out another year. And so I said, what if I write? Right. What if I write a screenplay? Like, what if I just, it doesn't have to be, we're not going to sell it as like, I have to be the screenwriter or whatever. But what if I write it so when we're pitching, at least they can see something. So they can, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And they know we're going to bring on someone else, but they have a better sense. And they were like, you know what? Go for it. That's awesome. <laughs> so it was really cool. So I wrote the first draft. And then we were going to bring on, we were at the point where we were going to bring on another screenwriter to help. And that's when the WGA went on strike. Right. So right. can't bring on anyone until all of that is resolved. Sure. But I do think it's going to be very exciting. I know that, you know, since I'm a producer, I am allowed to talk to them. So we still chat and they're still very much excited about the project. And I think it's going to be great. And I have so many thoughts and visions for it. I think. I really think people are going to love it when it eventually does come to the screen. And so I am super excited for it. And then Summer Rental, I'm also, I very much want it to be a movie or a TV show. And so I'm trying to figure out like what the steps are on that as well. Mm -hmm. oh, that's amazing. I, I love seeing you like take ownership of like pushing your projects forward. Um, I, you like you don't see a lot of indie authors doing that in the way that you're yeah. doing it and it's very it's very inspiring and I, I love that I'm so excited for the movie to come out I will absolutely fly out to California when it comes out to go to the premiere oh, I, I have, would love like, that you will you will 100% I have all these ideas like I love you're probably the same way I love building community like it's one of my favorite things and so I tell my husband I tell my husband I'm like I'm gonna be like Taylor Swift like uh, Taylor Swift has her listening parties and she goes and she invites the people that have been with her since the beginning, like uh -huh. her diehard fans. I'm like, my fans, like my community one day is going to be rewarded because it's going to happen. And when it happens, I'm going to have a big party and I'm going to invite all of them, but just them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just the ones who have been with me, not the, not the one who put, posted a review on TikTok about how my book's unrealistic because there's mean girls that are <laughs> That woman is not coming. Right. But, but no, I, I like, I'm, I'm very excited about the future and I really am excited to like 
not just for me, but to like grow with my community, like my writer friends and my readers and to be able to celebrate it with them. And I feel like that is like a very Taylor Swifty thing, but I feel like she's very inspiring. That's what she does so well. And that's really what I want to like, it's writing and all about like, it's great. It's my dream. It's what I've always wanted to do. But also I'm old enough to understand and appreciate that life's also about relationships Mm -hmm. and having fun and, and like having a great community that you can do nice things for and will celebrate you back. And so for me, part of the excitement is like, not just the writing, but like sharing this with people and like finding the people that believe in me and support me and then being able to like do cool things for them. Absolutely. Open for me. So 100% you will be there. And I'm, I, I already know when it happens, I'm going to do like some really cool stuff. I can't wait. I like I have no doubt in my mind that all of those things are going to happen for you. And I like I can't wait. I'm so excited. You're so sweet. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope so. too. So circling back to summer rentals. So we mentioned this is your first like fully independently published novel. And we've mentioned indie publishing can be empowering and exciting, but it does come with its own challenges as well. So what have you found to be the best and also the most difficult parts of being an indie author? So the best things for sure are full transparency and (laughs) you get all the money. I mean, everything comes to you. And I think that's truly amazing. Um, I love the control. I love, love, love the control. And the ability to reach your readers super fast. Like, I had the idea for the mm-hmm. short story. I'm going to put it out within three weeks of, you know, when I had the idea. Right. Never. That would never happen in traditional publishing. So I think those are, I mean, there's a lot more pros, but those are the ones off the top of my head. The cons are, it is very lonely. So, like, that's why I love you and, like, I love my other author friends and my reader friends as well. It's lonely and there's also, like, a little bit of an insecurity there, too, to make all the decisions yourself and to not have, like, that sounding board of experts that you would get on a traditional publishing setting where you would have, you know, your editor and then the marketing team and the PR team and all these people that have experience to tell you. So for me, it's like, I do a cover and I'm like, I like the cover, but are people going to like the cover? Is the cover Mm going to sell right for this, you know, story. And so I really heavily rely on my friends, like my author friends, my, my, friend friends and readers to really help like build that support team for me. So I am often asking for feedback on things like, do you like this cover? Do you like this title? Do you like this bookmark? Um, Because I don't have that sounding board. And I think that is very difficult. I think the other thing that is very difficult, well, difficult, but like, whatever. I mean, it's, it also gives you an opportunity. You know what? The flip side is gives you opportunity to connect with your readers and your community mm-hmm. and get their input. So it's it's difficult, but it actually is kind of a good thing too, if you look at it that way. Um, and then the learning curve, it is a very steep learning curve. Like, I'm not gonna lie, you have to have time and patience. Some of it, a lot of it actually, you can 100% farm out and pay someone else to do. So there is that. And there's such a market now for self-publishing where right. there's so many people that are now running businesses helping self-published authors mm-hmm. so anything you need done you could hire someone but if you're like me I'm kind of cheap sometimes and I just want to do it myself and right if you do it yourself there's a learning curve but again if you find nice people like us um that are helpful you find your community also Facebook has a lot of really great groups like mm-hmm. um 20 books to 50k is a yep. great group like Ingram Sparks group um there's a lot of really really nice author communities 
where people are very much about being supportive and, you know, helping others. Those are great places. So finding community, find people who can help you. But the learning curve, is, and there's a lot of books, actually. There's a lot of books, especially in Kindle Unlimited, uh-huh. on how to self-publish. So the resources are there. It's just, there is an uphill. Like, you know, I spent all day yesterday learning vellum, but now I know it. So yeah. now I don't have to learn it again. And now I can do a thousand books if I want to on it. Exactly. But I did have to spend, I had to spend that one day, you know, like that's one day I could have been doing something else. Time is money and, and time is valuable. So I think that's that's kind of the one big thing is there's a, a steep learning curve. But I do think once you start to learn things, the second book, the third book, the fourth book, I mean, I'm sure because you're now on your second book too, it, it gets so much easier. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Those are for me, I think. I don't, what do you think? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's, it's very similar. And like, I'm going to throw it back to our girl, Taylor Swift, right? Like she has a quote that's like, the bad news is you're on your own now, but the great news is you're on your own now. And yeah, like that just hits for an indie author because yeah, it's hard to be on your own. It's hard to have to make all of the decisions and to guess what you think is going to work in a market when you aren't surrounded by experts who know all of those things, which is what you get in traditional publishing. But you also have all of the control. And when you make friends and contacts that will help you give you the feedback, who've done this before, like you can get it all on your own. It's just, uh, it's just making the effort to talk to people to see what they're doing, to compare what yes. you're doing and figure out what works for you. Yes. And then oh, the overwhelm is real, but that's why, again, like I keep coming back to this, but I, I so believe in is community and having a support system. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I'm glad that this is not video because I probably have like this evil little smile on my face. But when you said, <laughs> I know it, the truth is actually, I, I like the feet, like the feedback aspect is great. And I do miss that. But the truth is, they don't actually know anything. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of, that you, actually is true. I, I admit. Yeah. When you listen to, and I, I think I don't say that disrespectfully at all. I think anyone in the industry would tell you we actually, we don't know, like we try and we think, but like we, it's, it's a complete crap shoot on half the books. I mean, a fourth wing, who knew, who knew fourth <laughs> wing was going to become like the biggest book of the year. I like, know, it's bananas. She, it's bananas. Like she, I mean, it wasn't her first book. So she, you know, she's a good writer, obviously. And she knows what she's doing. But like, why did, why did that book, it was a beautiful cover, right? I mean, I'm sure that helped. But like, why did that book explode on TikTok? There wasn't a huge marketing campaign that I know of, I heard about behind it. Like, why did that book, why did Fifty Shades of Grey? Why did Twilight, like, mm-hmm. there's so much here. They really, sometimes they know, and sometimes they put a lot of money, like a million marketing, you know, a million dollar marketing budget on a book. Any book's going to explode with a million dollars, you know? But like, I, a lot of times they, they don't know and they don't know what they're doing. And I feel like we can kind of guess as good as they can. What I miss is the feedback of just like, just getting another, uh, another opinion on it. Not that they necessarily are the knower and the doer all and know, you know, can give you that advice that's going to take you to the top. I don't actually believe that, but just having like feedback is helpful mm-hmm. and just knowing like they think it's a good idea or a bad idea or just anyone telling you that I yeah. think is awesome. you do miss that. But no, I think that's the funniest thing too. And the other thing that really made me leap towards self-publishing was learning so much. And I watched kind of that lawsuit 
the um, antitrust lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I watched it pretty carefully and reading, like, listening to all the testimony about they really don't know, like, what's going to hit and what's not. Yeah. And how most traditional books don't ever make money. That tells you so much about the industry. Yeah, so. it's all guesswork. And the great thing about indie publishing is that we're faster, right? So we can see what's working on the market and adjust immediately. Where with traditional publishing, they buy a book and it gets published in like two to three years. So oh, they're the always behind the curve. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I agree. Yeah. We are big fans. <laughs> we are big fans. And uh, I so encourage anybody who wants to try indie publishing to do it. And I'm wondering what advice you would give to someone who's hoping to make that leap into indie publishing. You know what? I had a lot of hangups about the ego aspect of it. Like, am I as real of a writer? Am I as good as a writer if right. I have to self-publish? Like, if no one, if these gatekeepers don't believe in me enough and I have to do it myself, like, is it even worth doing it? And I think the advice I would give is to really take your ego, to have a good friend. I mean, I had a good friend who kind of walked me through this. I have a, she's like my, like a mentor, a business mentor, Uh but to really take your ego out of it and really think about why you're in this. Like, are you in this to write and share your stories with people? Which I think most people, I mean, great, I make money too. Let's be honest, like, I'd love to make a lot of money from this too. Like, I, you know, I got stuff I want to buy and bills to pay. But I, I think all three of those, actually, if you're in it because you love telling stories, there's nothing else you can think of doing that you would love more. You love people reading those stories. Mm-hmm. Like, you want them to write them and never show them. That's, some people do do that. But you want people to read it. And, like, maybe you want to make money from it too. I think that's all that you really need to answer. And if those are all yeses, then I think self-publishing is a great is a great route to go, especially if you're not having luck on traditional publishing. Um, and I don't think that the barrier to entry is very high anymore at all. I agree. You can, there's, it used to be people were like, oh, I can't afford it. It's too expensive or whatever. It's not like that anymore. Like a lot of the things you can even do yourself, um, there's certain things you can't skim on. Like I do think you need a good book editor I, I really firmly believe in that mm-hmm. but as far as like if you wanted to buy proofreading software you could I, I also believe in a copy editor too I believe in at least those two to me those two are fairly non-negotiable for the most part but for a proofreader you can buy your own software mm-hmm. you buy it once you have it forever yeah. cover design I mean I like people designing my cover however you can get for 99 dollars less than a hundred dollars you can get a beautiful professionally done. Like I spent more than that just because I really wanted an amazing cover, but you don't have to. You would even design, like I'm doing the cover for my short story on Canva. Oh, for nice. I have the Canva membership, whatever. Uh-huh. You can, like we did by Vellum, you can do your whole layout yourself. Like you really could do a book for pretty inexpensive and just get it out there. Mm-hmm. So I think like for me, I just, I don't see the barriers anymore. And as far as getting your book in the hands of readers, the honest truth is, unless you are one of two, like, I have to see my book on, you know, a local bookstore, because Barnes and Nobles now will carry indie, and they've, yeah. they've been so great to me. I love Barnes and Noble. They've been so supportive of my book, both of my books. But unless you're like, I must see my book on an indie bookshelf, and, and I still think you can if you've got a great local into the evil relationship with I think they will still support you yeah Um, but unless that's like your dream and and I do think a lot of that is 
to be totally honest, is ego driven. If you take the ego out of it and you just look at what do I really want? I really want to write. I want people to read my books and I'd like to like go make a little bit of money. I think like that should push you towards self-publishing if if you're like not finding luck in traditional and, and the reason why you wanted to do traditional was ego related. However, if there are some people that just they don't want to, and I completely respect this, they don't want to spend their time learning these skills mm -hmm. or even micromanaging someone else, paying other people to do these things for them, they would rather wait however long it takes to wait if that's what they want to do and do the traditional route because then they don't, all they have to do is write. Right. They don't have to think of the other stuff or whatever. And I think that's, that's very valid. And I would say those people, then if, if that, then traditional, I think is fine and makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Either way is completely, completely valid. Completely, uh, completely okay. But if you're on the fence and you, you are able to do things on your own and make business decisions and stuff, and you want to do that, then I don't think there's anything holding you back from self-publishing mm -hmm. anymore. Yep. I agree a thousand percent. It's uh, so much more accessible now. And even if you, like you said, you don't have a lot of money to invest, then invest the time in learning how to do the things yourself. And you can learn all of those things for free, just like on YouTube yeah. now, which is wonderful. Like this is such a great empowering awesome. time to try we to be an author. Best. We live in the best. I say this all the time. We live in the golden era for creative people. Like, mm -hmm best time you could ever be living in if you're an artist a creator an entrepreneur is right now the other thing i was gonna say too before just to kind of like put the cherry on the top of this conversation when you see people like frida mcfadden who if you go on amazon at all i mean this woman has like 10 books in the top 100 i mean she's right. crushing it when you see someone like her and you see colleen hoover who i think everyone knows who colleen hoover is mm -hmm. when you see them still putting out some self-published things right i feel like that kind of tells you everything you need to know about i agree <laughs> that, that it's still a very 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 viable enticing way to publish your books and there there are like i said i i I'd never say never and i would a hundred percent consider putting some of my books in traditional for the right reasons mm -hmm. and for the right amount of like quality right in that business decision but short of that, and I think most of the times the offers are not there, I don't think that it's worth it. I think yeah. you can do all of it on your own. Yeah, I agree a million percent. Um, and I'm so grateful now that I feel like the stigma around indie publishing mostly exists uh, with authors and with people in the publishing industry and readers oh, are actually so open to indie now, which is beautiful. And I'm so grateful to all the readers that have picked up my book. And I'm sure you feel the same way. 100%. I love all, and I, I read indie, like I love indie books, but mm -hmm. I, cause I, I, I'm the same way. I really don't care. I care if it's a good book. I don't care who wrote it. I don't care what publisher published it. Is it a good story? Is it going to keep me interested, entertained? Escapism, that's what I care about. And I love that that, I totally agree with you. I feel like that's really taking off with readers. And I fully, it's so funny, but it's like from a higher business level, you can see why the only people who are still so like gatekeeping and closed-minded about it are people in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like other traditional pub, not all, I mean, many traditional publishers, I mean, I am also traditional published, so I guess I'm proud of myself too. Many right. are lovely, very supportive of it, um, but the ones 
the the biggest like opponents of self pub are the competition. <laughs> yep, I agree. So and you so you kind of have to unravel that like why why is that? It's because they're scared. Exactly. And I would, and I would be too. To yeah. Be honest. The, the, the sands are shifting in the publishing industry, and I'm so excited to see where it goes from here. And I'm also excited to hear more about what you're working on now, um, in addition to your short story. The short story that hopefully is coming out, so everyone pick it up, please. You can find it. It'll be on my website, so it's my author pen name, Rec Talk Ross. So R-E-K-T-O-K-R-O-S-S. You can also always find me on Instagram or TikTok where I, I talk about like everything that's up and coming for me, but definitely the short story. I'm working on my third thriller. So that's in the, it's kind of like a, the ski weekend series as I call it, which are always friends, group friends, stranded somewhere with, as you so wonderfully pointed out, a natural disaster happening. And then also other things, the, the dynamic of the friends. Um, so the third one I'm working on, hopefully I'll have out at some point in the year. It takes a while, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then working on summer rental and adapting that ski weekend, the adaptation to that as well. And then I'm also working on a screenplay with a friend. Awesome. So that's very exciting, an original screenplay. And then I have a podcast that we kind of put on hold, a thriller horror podcast called Just for Thrills. That we put on hold while Summer Rental was getting put together, but hopefully we'll be revisiting that, especially for some fun Halloween episodes. And then I don't know what else, but I feel like I want to conquer the world. So I'm sure you'll see other random things coming from me. Hopefully a TikTok shop. That's definitely, yeah. like, I think those are, those are really cool and doing very well, but. Absolutely. There's always something, Christy, there's always something popping <laughs> that is so true and I'm so excited to see like all of the things that you have coming up next and um thank you I'm very excited for you too and you also keep me very hyped up and very inspired oh thank you we'll definitely have to continue bouncing things off of each other um but before we go do you want to tell our listeners how they can connect with you online and stay up to date on all your upcoming releases Yes, absolutely. So I think the best place, so I'm the same thing everywhere. Like I said, just Rec Talk Ross. So R-E-K-T-O-K-R-O-S-S. The best place to find me, definitely TikTok and Instagram. I'm on there all the time. I also have a book club for readers. There's a lot of writers in there too. And it's called The Book Nook by Rec Talk Ross. And that's on Facebook. Um, and we read a different book every single month, totally different genres and categories. We vote on each month. That's a great place if you want to hang out with me and read. And then my podcast, Just for Thrills, there's a couple episodes up on iTunes, hoping to record some more. And always my website, www.rectalkross.com. And you'll find my email. I am like fully accessible. Shoot me an email, a direct message. I respond. I love to meet other readers and writers. And I think I've said now a thousand times in this, so you know that it's true. I really (laughs) do like community and meeting people and helping to support others. So definitely reach out and I'd love for you to read my books, Summer Rental, Ski Weekend, and coming soon, The Pop Star and the Devil, an original short story. So this has been so great. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me on. And just for being a great friend. And we didn't even talk about the fact that you hosted my 
my um book launch party or oh yeah but yeah so you've been an amazing supporter of mine I'm so appreciative and I love watching your journey too because your journey as a writer has really been inspiring me as well so oh um, thank you so much I'm so grateful for our friendship and I I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat and be on the podcast I always just love getting the chance to talk with you I agree all right. Well, listeners, we're also very grateful for you and your time in joining us today. And we will be back with another episode of Get Cozy Podcast soon. So stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Christy Meyer Books. That's K-R-Y. S-T-I-M-E-Y-E-R books to stay up to date on all of the mysteries that I am reading and recommending. We'll be back with another episode soon, but in the meantime, happy reading and stay cozy.